1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 971 FM Talk Podcast.
0: Hey, this is as we come back in here for the 5 o'clock hour my bumper music here. The Black Keys, Dead and Gone. I bring it up because there was a hell of a music festival that was announced for St. Louis today. This caught me off guard. I had no idea that this was in the works of course we had Loot fest that blew up and collapsed several years ago uh, just hours before it was supposed to start in, what was that, 2018 or 2019. So, Contemporary Productions has put together something called the Evolution Festival, and I follow music festivals across the country. I attend music festivals across the country at some point, and some of the festival lineups have been, in my opinion, rather weak. Now, they haven't announced, like, Lollapalooza and some of the big ones for later in the year. Uh, Roots and Blues in Columbia, that's a big festival, but listen to this. This is August 26th and 27th in Forest Park. The Black Keys, Brandy. Car- Carlile on Sunday. Uh, the Saturday lineup is the Black Keys, the Black Crows. Um, on Sunday, Brandy Carlisle and then Ben Harper, who's awesome. If you've never seen Ben Harper and the other artists, and I don't know which days they'll be playing on, I'll feature some of this a little bit later in audio cut of the day. Brittany Howard, Ice Cube, Morgan Wade, great little country crossover alternative rock artist, Modern English, Michigander, a great band, Nikki Lane, and a few that I've never heard of, but I'm sure they're pretty good. This is a great. Festival for St. Louis coming back to uh, Forest Park. So we'll have a little bit more. I think we're going to cover that tomorrow here on 97.1 FM Talk. Brian Clark's going to join us at 5.25. He's a senior fellow and director for the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. We're uh, shooting things down outside of even balloons. I don't think it's aliens, but we'll find out from Brian, and then I have an audio cut of the day. All right, so we had the the round table on Friday. We discussed this just a little bit. It it doesn't take a whole lot for something to happen in the um, state legislature for the post-dispatch and others to cry Racism, And you had this story that came out with the headline from the Post-Dispatch, Jack Suntrip, Kurt Erickson. Look, these guys were standing outside of this chamber and they're waiting for this to happen. In my opinion, this is a setup, which happens a lot more than you think of. And we're going to get some of the details here. But the story focused on the evil Republicans um, shutting down debate. From a black Democrat from Hillsdale, Missouri. And because of that, because they were referring to some of the things that happened in Mississippi and it was completely off topic, the Republicans shot that down. But now you had the Post-Dispatch racist claims in the Missouri House, the Associated Press, which is a despicable organization. I used to cover news and was a news anchor in the 80s. We depended on the Associated Press until we knew what the Associated Press was all about and how biased they are. So this is an AP story. Just to give you an example, what happens with the AP is somebody in a room somewhere, it used to be a guy named Scott Charton. I know Scott pretty well. He was the uh, AP bureau, Bureau guy, but a reporter writes these stories and then, they send it out to all the affiliates and X would be an affiliate, most radio stations, TV stations. So then they can run with the copy the way s- they see fit. And The headline today was black lawmakers cite racism as Missouri House OK's crime bill. Racial tensions in Mississippi echoed in Missouri Thursday as black Democratic lawmakers accused the state's Republican House leadership of racism for shutting down a black lawmaker's speech and passing a bill that could strip power from the black woman not doing her job as a. I'm sorry, did I let me correct? They didn't write that they should have. For the black woman elected as prosecutor in St. Louis, Kim Gardner, who doesn't do her job. Uh, David Castile is with us, state rep from High Ridge, not too far from my neck of the woods out there. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened last week. Hey, David, how are you? Thanks for coming on 97.1 FM Talk. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. So what what happened here? Because this is a situation where there's procedure in places like the Missouri House, right? And th- they yep. were off. the Democrats were off topic here. They knew they would be shut down. This would come as no surprise because you guys know the rules, right? Correct. Yep. So what happened? Uh, so we,
3: yeah, so basically what happened was the, the bill was debated for three hours the day before and everything had been kind of worked out. And then that day before, we actually all worked unanimously. We had full support up and down the aisle for an amendment called Blair's Law to be put into that bill, which just basically makes it unlawful to fire a firearm for any other reason than self-defense. Um, you might know Blair's law already. So the, the sentiment and the feeling was pretty good about uh, the bill passing the House at that time. It was only the, until the next day. It wasn't until the next day when uh, this long read from the Missouri, uh, Mississippi Today was read by another state representative for quite some time until one rep uh, called point of order, at which point the speaker reminded the rep speaking that he should stay on topic. And then that rep speaking went on to continue to read from the article at which point in time, a second rep uh, did call a point of order and um, then the, uh, the debate was turned down, and uh, we went to a vote. Yeah, and
0: then so at that point, look, they, in other words, what, what you just heard there, ladies and gentlemen, is they were warned twice, right? They were warned twice. They were out of order uh, on the um, reading of what happened in Mississippi. What happened down there is the Senate voted to create this board. This became—I saw this story out there a little bit. The Washington Post covered it others— that would take control of the Jackson-Mississippi water system, which is currently overseen by an appointed federal administrator. So they, they uh, voted on that, and then the the claim was that— By black lawmakers down there that this amounted to a symbolic decapitation of black elected leadership because a bunch of white people were, you know, making the decisions. Now, that may or may not be the case. I don't know. That's Mississippi, right, David? Here in Missouri, that really didn't have anything to do with what they were talking about last week and what you guys were discussing, which is why it was shut down.
3: That's right. And, you know, the bill in Mississippi has just been passed recently, just as ours has been. So there's really not a lot of data to support what its results will have anyway. I mean, if the local municipalities would uphold their end of the bargain, which is to prosecute criminals, then either state, Missouri or Mississippi, would not have the need to get involved.
0: Right, go go figure. Yeah. So now I'm I'm hearing this is what the AP story says: is the the Reverend Daryl Gray, a St. Louis pastor and leading racial justice activist, said that he's encouraging people to rally on Wednesday to stand up against state control and white suppression. What would your reaction be to that?
3: Oh uh, man, it's not <laughs> it's not the white representatives that are keeping on bringing up the racial racial argument, right? Um, so, you know, I, I didn't see anything racist or racially racially motivated in the uh, on the chamber floor that day. And I think that we're basically trying to protect children uh, from violence and drug abuse and, uh, you know, a, lot, a whole slur of problems. We rent some houses. I had some uh, tenants call me and say that they're moving out of a building we helped manage. Uh, because of the gunshots. You know, um, the gunshots yeah. could have been stopped if we would n- not just look at the guns themselves, but take a look at the people and the culture allowing this type of behavior to continue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And look, that that's, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, because I think that um, the priorities are out of whack. And I tweeted this a little bit earlier today. I said, look, the, the people in republic, they're more concerned here, the Democrats in St. Louis, than these claims of racism, than about Black people, kids in many cases, dropping dead every day here in St. Louis. The racism charges, BS, the debate was shut down. They were warned. They were warned again. They, In my opinion, David, you don't have to comment. I think they wanted this. And I also think that Jack Suntrip and um, the other dude from the Post-Dispatch, Kurt Erickson, were absolutely complicit because their leadership told them exactly what was going to go on here. And they wanted to be shot down and shut down because they could then point toward racism. So that that's... A talk show host's opinion, but that certainly is something that happens on a regular basis.
3: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, most of the people that are here are really just here to serve to uh, improve the environment and the culture for as many people as they can improve it for, and uh, it's it really is a shame that politics gets in the way of good legislature, because this bill doesn't just talk about the special prosecutor. It talks about service for former inmates, making sure to get them the documents that they need to become employed. Right. Uh, it talks about minimum prison terms, which will send a message to uh, the, the violent criminals that if they do get caught acting in a way that is not legal, then they will be facing a minimum prison term. It's got Blair's law in it, which was passed unanimously by the House to get this amendment on the bill and then— uh, no democrats ended up voting for it which is interesting yeah. they fought it was an it was a democrat amendment that we got added to the bill but once the bill came to for a final vote it was down party lines which was disappointing because it's the 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 larger communities that we're trying to protect and preserve and to inspire economic development to occur so that all are gainfully employed and that all have a living wage and that all are well-housed. And, you know, it's really common sense, if you ask me.
0: Well, keep up the good fight, David. I wanted to highlight this because I think there's shenanigans that are going on on the other side, and most of the legacy media is not going to tell you the truth. So David Castillo, state rep from the High Ridge area, appreciate you coming on 97.1 FM Talk. Absolutely. We right. appreciate you. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, take care. Look, it's just a complete setup, and this is exactly what happens. And the uh, you know, the so-called journalists at the Post-Dispatch are a complete joke on this because they're going to stoke the racial fires at every point possible. Now, I will say this, and I've said this a couple of times on Twitter over the weekend. I was surprised. I was very surprised. And I guess I said on Thursday when this whistleblower report from Wash U broke that we'll see if the mainstream media covers it. Well, the Post has covered it because Senator Hawley got involved involved and, you know, they had to. And then there was a follow-up story on Saturday that said why Jamie Reed went public with her allegations about a St. Louis transgender clinic. Now, this is blowing up even more nationally today, and I'm going to guide you into some new information, but it has to be. This is my tweet from Saturday. It's got to be so painful to the lefty nuts at STL today. They had to cover the story. You know why? Because it's true, because this all happened, and the whistleblower has the receipts. Now, part of my discussed with the media and the Post-Dispatch. And those of you who have been listening for what we've been talking about some of this stuff, and we've given specifics for two and a half years now. Oh, by the way, on Friday night, I get home and I was talking about, you know, we talked about the mayor, um, Nick DeCerty. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. He's the flack for the mayor. And I included him on something the other day on one of my tweets because he was saying that he didn't believe this report. Oh, isn't it coincidental? Isn't it coincidental? Let's see here. He said, you can't tell me as the state legislature is considering a bill to strip kids of life-saving, gender-affirming care— Sorry, that's really funny, actually, when you think about it, that there's suddenly a whistleblower complaint about the region's largest provider. My comment for uh, the spokes he they for the mayor, and I only call him that because that's what he calls himself. I have to go by the pronouns. The he they they for the mayor thinks it's made up. So I said, "Eh, you know, that that's not what happened here. So he he tweets out. This is the guy that is the. Public information officer for our mayor in St. Louis. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just a stupid talk show host, right? I've got – what do I have? Just a guy who flaps his lips, right? So he's got a more important job, doesn't he, in theory? He tweets out a picture of a uh, world-famous clown motel office, and he says, this is where you broadcast from. That's the professional guy the uh, spokes-he-they for the mayor, which is ridiculous. But I wonder if the spokes-he-they would read Jamie Reid's affidavit, which is out today, because the affidavit has even more information than the story from last week, and it is disgusting. And I would suggest that if you have children in the car right now, you tune this out, because you're not going to want them to hear this. Uh, she goes through in the affidavit. This is something that Andrew Bailey, the Attorney General, has, and we'll have him hopefully on the show talking about this tomorrow. Some of it in an affidavit is just the basics. I've been, you know, working while University for seven years. I was offered and accepted the job as the case manager for the center, blah, blah, blah. I raised concerns. This is point eight. I raised concerns for years, but the doctors at the center told me to stop raising these concerns. Last fall, the center and university administration told me to get with the program or get out because the center was unwilling to make any changes in response to my concerns. I left the center in November of 22, accepted employment elsewhere within Washington University. The center tells the public and parents that it provides multidisciplinary care. The center says that you can come to the clinic and get transition hormones if that is needed, but you can also get psychological and psychiatric care. That is not true, Jamie Reed says. The center says it has four practice areas, um, adolescent medicine, psychiatry, psychology, and doctrinology. But the center placed such strict limits on psychiatry and psychology that I was almost never allowed to schedule patients for those practices. Those practices were advertised as available. Most of the time they were not available. Even when psychology was available, it was only to write a letter of support for the medical transition treatments and never for ongoing therapy. And psychiatry was allowed, but only on an extremely a limited basis. Now, the reason that's important is, and she gets into this, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in the affidavit, number 13 in the affidavit, if you want to follow at home. This is great nighttime reading, especially for your lefty friends who are in denial that child abuse like this happens on a regular basis, and thank God it's being exposed. Medical transition practice for children and adolescents is based on a study from the Netherlands. That study, the Dutch study, excluded participants who presented underlying mental health issues, but nearly all children she said in the affidavit, who came to the center in St. Louis, presented with very serious mental health problems. Despite claiming to be a place where children could receive multidisciplinary care, the center would not treat these mental health issues. Instead, children were automatically given puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones, even though the Dutch study excluded persons experiencing mental health issues. One patient, and this is some of this is new. I, I didn't see this in what she wrote last week. One patient came to the center identifying identifying as communist attack helicopter human female maybe non-binary oh my god right the child was in very poor mental health you think and early on reported they had no idea their gender identity rather than treat the child for their serious mental health problems i don't think that could be in debate when someone comes in and says i'm a communist attack helicopter human female maybe non-binary right that's messed up Right. Rather than treat that, the center put that kid on cross sex hormones and ignored the obvious mental health problems. The child subsequently reported that their mental health was actually worsening since they started the cross-sex hormones. Most children who come into the center were assigned female at birth. Nearly all of them have serious comorbidities. She did cover this in some of the uh, report from last week. Autism, ADHD, depression, anxiety, PTSD, trauma, histories, OCD, serious eating disorders. Rather than treat these conditions, the doctors prescribe puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. Now, as I read this, by the way... uh, these are people at Wash U that should be in prison. Okay, These physicians should be in prison for this level of child abuse. Now, they won't be in the end. Well, maybe they will be because we have Andrew Bailey and others on the case. Uh, here's one. Pa- patient was, and this is something I think she had written about in case you didn't hear about this, was pretty particularly disturbing. A uh, patient was in a residential sex offender treatment facility. Patient had previously sexually abused animals and had stated when they were released that they would do so again. This was the kid that liked dogs and he was having sex with dogs, right? There were questions about consistency of gender history. The center did not treat the underlying condition, instead put the patient on hormones, patient who has severe OCD had threatened to self-harm their genitals. patient did not have a trans or other incongruent gender identity. The patient was placed on hormones, not even to treat any gender dysphoria, but to chemically reduce libido and sexual arousals. That's what they're doing at Wash U. That's what they're doing at Children's Hospital in the name of science, in the name of medicine. This is what they're doing. That's outstanding. That's really good. Congratulations, physicians at Wash U. Patient had history of sexual abuse. Notified the psychology of this. It was even documented in the letter of support that the patient had concerns about the changes that testosterone would cause to their genitals. Instead of treating the underlying trauma, the patient was started on testosterone. And the list goes on and on. Toward the end of my time at the center... Jamie writes, in the oh, she says in the affidavit, it became clear that many children coming to the center had gender identities that were likely the result of social contagion. When I first started in 2018, the center would receive 5 to 10 calls a month. By the time I left, 40 calls a month. That's just coincidental, right? There's no way that can be social contagion. In one case, a child came into the center identifying as blind, even though, I didn't hear this one, even though the child could, in fact, see after vision tests were performed. The child also identified as transgender. The center dismissed the child's assertion about blindness as um, a somatization disorder. I don't even know what that is. That's well beyond my ability. But uncritically accepted the child's statement about gender and prescribed that child with drugs for medical transition without confirming the length or persistence of the condition. No concurrent mental health care was provided. This is criminal. It's criminal. Doctors at the center have publicly claimed they do not do any gender transition surgeries on minors. For example, last year, Dr. Lewis and Dr. Garwood. Dr. Garwood is a real interesting case here. There's some connections to the Parkway schools. Mm, We're going to find out more about her, I promise you, here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Dr. Lewis and Dr. Garwood, those are the two that should be in prison, by the way, told the Missouri legislature at no point are surgeries on the table for anyone under the age of 18. And also, surgeries are not an option for anyone under the age of 18. This was a lie. The center regularly refers minors for gender transition surgery. The center routinely gives out the names and contact information of surgeons to those under the age of 18. At least one gender transition surgery was performed by Dr. Allison Snyder Warwick, another person who should be in prison at St. Louis Children's Hospital in the last few years. During medical visits with patients, I've personally heard providers report that they examined results of gender transition surgeries on minors. This includes the examining of scar tissue and healing of sutures and of breast surgeries. At one point, Dr. Chris Lewis and Dr. Sarah Garwood reported that the indoctrine division leadership didn't want us referring minors for surgery. Yet- the center continued referring minors for surgery. We claim that the referrals were only for educational purposes for when children turned 18. But these referrals were in fact referrals and patients referred did obtain transistent surgeries as minors. The center does not assess children obtain consent before placing them on puberty blockers and hormones. She says the center has four criteria before that must be met before a child is placed on puberty blockers, or cross-sex hormones. Although these criteria are supposed to enable the doctors to make case-by-case decisions, in practice, everybody who meets these minimum criteria are prescribed cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers. Now, I I mean, some of this is is cuckoo for Cocoa Puts, right? Like this one. Children come into the clinic using pronouns of inanimate objects like mushroom, rock, or helicopter. Children come into the clinic saying they want hormones because they do not want to be gay. Children come in changing their identities on a day-to-day basis. Children come in under clear pressure by a parent to identify in a way inconsistent with the child's actual identity. In all these cases, the doctors decide to, to issue puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. That's, they're handing them out like candy to these kids. Criminal behavior is what we're talking about here. In one case where a girl was placed on cross-sex hormones, I found out later that the girl desired cross-sex hormones only because she wanted to avoid becoming pregnant. There was no need for this girl to be prescribed cross-sex hormones. What she needed was basic sex education and Mabry contraception. An adequate assessment before prescribing hormones would have revealed this fact. But because the doctors automatically prescribe cross-sex hormones or puberty blockers for children meeting the bare minimum criteria, this girl was unnecessarily placed on drugs that cause irreversible charges or changes, I'm sorry, to the body. So the bottom line here is, and I don't know exactly what the law would specifically be, but if you can even get close, I would impanel a grand jury and put these people like Dr. Garwood and others before that grand jury, indict their asses, send them to prison.
2: And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medela. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp and refreshing taste. Or if you overcame.
1: Tour tour.
2: You deserve this ice cold reward. Medellin, the Mark of the Fighter. Trick responsibly, beer imported by Cryingland Port, Chicago, Illinois.
0: What the heck is going on out there? We got spy balloons, we got another spy balloon, then we got something that might be a spy balloon, then we got other objects. We're shooting them down. Here is the uh, former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, weighing in on this.
3: Uh, I think they're still analyzing what we'll call uh, objects numbers two, three, and four. Um, But what we're getting is a clear picture that one of these is not like the other. And so it goes back to, um, you know, this may be uh, as simple as an overreaction to an underreaction. So we know that the first object was a spy balloon. It was 200 feet high. It had a payload uh, bay and a surveillance bay. Uh, We've been told the numbers two, three, and four Uh, have none of those things and are are maybe as little as one-tenth of the size, uh, not maneuverable,
0: drifting with the wind. All right, so what's going on? I don't know if anyone knows exactly what's going on. Brian Clark is with us, though. He's a senior fellow and director for the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. Brian Clark, welcome to 97.1 FM Talk. Outside of balloons, what the heck's going on out there, right? It's a little confusing, isn't it? Uh,
1: yeah, Mark, it is a little bit confusing. I think uh, what you know, we're seeing in part is just uh, the government is taking a, a renewed interest in uh, some of the vehicles that have been making their way across uh, U.S. airspace for a long time now, and that they just haven't risen to the level of attention that these have now, uh, because slow, small objects in the air are not necessarily considered a threat. And so as a result, the government or the, the military has been uh, sort of, you know, focusing its radar picture on uh, things other than those.
0: Yeah, because uh, kind of put this into perspective for us, if you would, Brian, we, we know that there's satellites out there I and mean, we have spy satellites, everyone's got satellites, but, but for this to kind of waft across the country a week from Friday, we go Friday the way that it didn't, it, it crossed right over my listening area here in St. Louis. It was, if nothing uh, else, just bizarre, and then it raises all kinds of questions, and then you do hear other people weighing in, so all oh, this has happened before, and even that same Friday night, there was one that was driven across I think Latin America so let me start with this right. on, on that balloon and that you this is your wheelhouse right you said this how serious was that in your opinion oh it's a
1: pretty serious uh you know I guess threat you know because one of the what these balloons will do is they're able to persistently monitor an area that otherwise uh, satellites may not be able to watch continuously, right? Mm-hmm. A satellite passes overhead and then it moves on. Uh, so you might have like a 10-minute window where you can see a particular location on the Earth before the satellite has to you know, continue its orbit, um, whereas a balloon could just hover there. Uh, and if you're doing some military operation, you, have to, you, you can't just stop and wait for the, the satellite to pass. The balloon's going to be there for hours or days. So you're forced to either do it while somebody's watching or you stop your operation altogether, which is something that happened during this balloons passage. Uh, the balloons can also get a lot closer um, for the same reason that we use U-2s to go and take pictures of enemy Um, missile silos and stuff, these balloons allow you to get closer and maybe get those close-up pictures that give you a different perspective on the targets that you might have to later on uh, worry about engaging.
0: So the uh, Saturday after that all happened, I I remember, and I played this last Monday, a week ago, the the talking points from those people who did not want us to shoot down the balloon were certainly in order. Well, it could have fallen on a church or a school. You can't do this. I mean, I have a whole montage of all these people. Well, then, of course, we did shoot it down. It was over the ocean. Should we have shot it down before it even got to Alaska? Oh, yeah,
1: probably. I mean, that's certainly what you've seen now recently is that we've been shooting these down while they're in remote areas before they really enter U.S. or Canadian airspace for very, you know, for very long. Um, So we've been doing that now. And what happened in part is that uh, because we haven't really been considering these to be a threat, we haven't really been gearing our radars to look for these kinds of targets or, or to highlight them as threats. Now that we are, we're starting to see a lot more of them and engage them before they actually you know, enter U.S. and Canadian airspace. But yeah, that, that balloon was allowed to enter. And then by the time we really decided to take action, it was in too populated an area for it to be safely taken down.
0: So what do you make about now we have these four other high altitude objects? You know, they were different, but they were shot down over Lake Huron. A fourth was taken down um, over the country as well. So what do you make of all that? And are they related uh,
1: they they are um, they're related in that we are now we've geared our sensors to start looking for these things, um, whereas for years we've been sort of writing them off and not considering to be threats. Um, but they're so related in that sense. But they are you know unmanned aircraft, um, just like the balloon, um, that are probably similarly designed for doing surveillance missions over somebody else's country. And since people haven't been looking for them, people, I'm sure that adversaries you know like China and Russia and others have. have figured out that, you know, we're not paying attention to these, and they decided to use this as a, as a cheap way to get surveillance information.
0: Okay, but hey, you, you, you really, you've really said this several times, and I'm just, I think the listeners is reacting the same way. How were we not looking for the, Were they deemed that little of a threat that we just decided we didn't need to pay any attention? Was that NORAD that did that?
1: Uh, yeah, oh yeah. So the, part of what's going on here is that we've, we've uh, post-Cold War, I mean, during the Cold War, we we had an open skies agreement with uh, the Soviet Union, so we allowed overflights of aircraft uh, to do surveillance missions over the U.S. as part of building trust with the Soviet Union. And then after the after the Cold War, we that agreement was discontinued. Um, but we didn't really consider these surveillance flights necessarily to be a threat. And we focused on things like bombers and fighters and, you know, those kinds of and missiles you know, that might be coming over uh, into our territory. So we focused a lot more on missile and, and aircraft events than we did on, you know, unmanned aircraft you. or balloon defense.
0: What, what do you say to this? This is a Chinese official. The illegal intrusion of
1: airspace of other countries by U.S. balloons is also commonplace. Just since last year, the U.S.'s high-altitude balloons illegally entered Chinese airspace more than 10 times without the
0: approval of the relevant Chinese authorities. True or not, is that something that happened, you think?
1: Um, it could have happened. I mean, yeah. so the U.S. has invested in these balloons. There's a company up in um, South Dakota, um, Raven uh, Aerostar, that builds these balloons. Um, that Google has bought and used for the Loon um, Broadband Internet Program. Um, and that the U.S. government has also bought for various surveillance programs. So these balloons have been used for the, by the United States for a, a long time as for its own surveillance missions. Um, I don't know that necessarily they've been flying over uh, China, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if they were.
0: Brian Clark is with a senior fellow for uh, and a director for the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. So what would your advice be? We have, you know, United States senators, congressmen that are concerned here. Obviously, John Tester from Montana worried about some of the things that happened with the balloon. What's your advice to law? Long- Lawmakers right now and trying to get some of the answers that, that certainly people have more than ever right now in the aftermath of all this, Brian.
1: Yeah, so I think one, one question is um, sort of, you know, okay, well, how now if we go back retrospectively and, and look at our radar pictures from the past, how long has this been happening, right? Because we have historical data. We can go back and figure out if this is a common, if this has been a common practice yeah, and we're right. paying attention. Uh, another question is, you know, what's going to be happening um What's happening in other domains? Like, so for example, do we have a similar challenge with regard to undersea threats? Do we have unmanned undersea vehicles, uh, drones that are you know, entering U.S. waters and exploring U.S. coastline or U.S. ports? That could be a threat to shipping or to uh, port operations. Okay,
0: let me stop you right there. Do we? What, what? What is the best method? I think it's shocking that we had, you know, we, we had Navy submarines off the coast of the U.S. in World War II, which I think a lot of people still don't know. But do we have the ability, is there a good ability to, to keep an eye on that kind of stuff? Underwater or not?
1: Uh, in theory, yes, but in but in practice, no. Yeah. So we, we look for submarines, right? So you look for big things um, that either make a lot of noise or that are easy to find with active sonar. But smaller things like unmanned be- unmanned or sea vehicles, we don't really have a, a good system for watching those. Now there are technologies that could allow you to do it, but you just have to invest and deploy them in, in places like ports uh, and and in, you know, near critical infrastructure. So a little bit of that, that that has been happening, but it's not it's not widespread.
0: Or could it be aliens? I don't think the American people need to worry about aliens with respect to these craft. Period. I don't think there's any more that needs to be said there. I don't know. John Kirby says no aliens. Brian, what do you think? I concur. I mean
1: these are these vehicles are are clearly slow moving uh, you know, and as we said, you know, not propelled necessarily vehicles that are um, probably things that have been floating over U.S. airspace for a while and that we just hadn't been paying attention to. And I assume that once we've gotten a couple of them and taken them apart, we'll figure out that they're, you know, coming from other countries or they're just private, privately owned vehicles that um, didn't get approval to operate in that airspace.
0: I guess the the positive would be there's focus on this now, right? Where two weeks ago there was there was no focus. Right. Would you agree?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. This is something that um, I mean, so in the national security community, we have been looking at these uh, capabilities for a while, and mostly in terms of how we could use them uh, against other countries. Uh, right. and So uh, it's natural that we should have been looking at them being used against us. And and I guess I'm a little surprised that we weren't paying attention to these because this is something that the U.S. intelligence community has been trying to exploit, uh, you know, against our overseas adversaries for a long time. Um, So, yeah, it it seems natural that we should have been looking for these threats uh, against our
0: own country. Brian Clark, appreciate it. Good information here. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. All right, take care. I am a relatively old dude that loves music, and I saw this band here, White Reaper. Most of you have never heard of them. Great guitar rock, power pop band. I would say, like, Green Day meets um, Weezer, if you will, with a little bit of uh, cheap, well, maybe a lot of cheap trick influence, and White Reaper just killed it at Delmar Hall on Saturday night. But I bring it up because I love this song so much. Close with that the other night. Bring it up because there was a hell of a music festival that was announced for St. Louis today. We had, um, and those of us who like alternative music, or hopefully those of you who like any kind of music, like Loot Fest for several years, and then it was. Brought down because there were financial improprieties and all kinds that was a mess and was really just canceled within hours of the whole thing starting. What was it, four or five years ago? But this is the folks at Contemporary Productions, August 26th and 27th at Forest Park, which is where um, Alufest was. And let's see here. We got a couple of look. The headliners would be the Black Keys and Brandy Carlisle. I feel
2: like- Brandy
0: Carlisle is doing like a stadium tour right now with a bunch of artists as well. So she's one of the headliners. On the night that she plays, it's Ben Harper and the
2: Innocent
0: Criminals. Great song Steal My Kisses from Ben Harper. Ben was married to Laura Dern for many, many years. I don't know if he is anymore. Because I always have to steal my kisses from you. Brittany um, Howard, I play this Is a bump, history repeats. Morgan Wade, kind of a country crossover artist.
2: You smell you to you
0: yeah, she's really good as well. And then a couple other acts here. Um, I don't know if I mentioned the Black Rose. Ice Cube, Cautious Clay, Modern English. is a great band, as well the Sugar Hill Gang. Uh, there's a couple here, like the Knuckles and Yard Eagle and Punk Lady Apple that I'm not familiar with, but it's the Evolution Festival. Forest Park, August 26th and 27th. And I don't even know when tickets go on, so we're going to find out more, though, and do this uh, a little bit tomorrow on the show. I have some options here for audio cut of the day. I'll get to that here in a second. There was a story today that came out, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, probably more tomorrow, um, a report from the CDC. John Sexton wrote about this on HotAir.com today. Then We've covered this on this show, this mental health crisis amongst teenagers, and girls in particular. And you can say, and I think this is true, the pandemic exacerbated a lot of this, but there's research, and John Sexton wrote about a new book that Jonathan Haidt wrote, which talks about this. And Jonathan Haidt believes there's a clear, and I don't know how you couldn't believe this, but he actually puts the numbers together and draws conclusions from research, that there's evidence of a change around 2010 to 2012 with the advent of teens having smartphones. And there's been an increase in reports of depression, much worse among girls a jump in attempted suicides so the cdc published new research today which backs up hates contention and here's what it says nearly one in three high school girls reported in 2021 that they are seriously or that they seriously considered suicide listen to that. one in three up nearly 60 percent from a decade ago according to new findings from the cdc trust the cdc as much as you can trust them but here's what they say Almost 15% of teen girls said they were forced to have sex, an increase in 27% over two years, the first increase in um, quite some time since the CDC began tracking it. Uh, Kathleen Ethier, director of the Division of Adolescent School Health, says, if you think about every 10 girls that you know, at least one and possibly more has been raped, teenage girls, and that's the highest level we've ever seen. Um, She says, the rise of sexual violence almost certainly contributed to the glaring spike of depressive symptoms. We're really alarmed. Almost three in five teenage girls reported feeling so persistently sad or hopeless almost every day for at least two weeks in a row during the previous year that they stopped regular activities. It, this is so sad. And by the way, you'll have the president, because they tried to do it at the White House, they'll try to tell you that COVID did this, right? The CDC will tell you that COVID did this. It's not COVID. It was the CDC that did this. It was governors from across the um, the country. It was leaders like Sam Page and Tashara Jones and Cruisen. I guess we can put most of this on Cruisen. One of the funniest things that I remember, and some of you remember this, let's not forget that in June of 2020, you know, right when we were starting to emerge a little bit from the cocoon, oh, it was Memorial Day weekend and people dared to go outside at the Lake of the Ozarks and they partied outside. What was that place called? And, oh, my God, you would have thought that a bunch of people just assassinated a group of puppies, drown them in the river. Because Lydacruzan and her ilk and all the wear-a-mask crowd were like, oh, you can't, if you were in the damn Lake of the Ozarks outside and you didn't have a mask on, we don't want you anywhere near here, St. Louis. Go away. And there's people dying in the streets, right? People are getting shot. doesn't matter. You wear a damn mask, or we don't want you around here. It's just utterly ridiculous. So that was our government that did that. And it was, and this is crazy. I'll get into this tomorrow. The New York Times has another story that's kind of related, talking about TikTok ticks. There are odd physical behaviors where teens pick these up during the pandemic from watching other teens on TikTok. And it's pretty nuts. We'll get into that in a little bit tomorrow. We gotta to do this right now
2: though.
0: Now the audio cut of the day. Our cut of the Day is sponsored by the Good Feet Store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. Most of you, I'm going to play something here that I think might have been the best Super Bowl commercial of the day, and nobody's seen it from around here because it was something that ran locally in um, in Oregon and also on Instagram. In Bend, Oregon, I had no idea, there is still one last remaining blockbuster. So they put an ad together for this. and A lot of it's visual. I'm gonna walk you through it here just a little bit. It's the end of the world and streaming is gone,
2: right? the world ends, and the internet streams no more, we'll still
0: be here. The Blockbuster will still be there, the Blockbuster will. And they show a cockroach. You got to hear this part. This is where the cockroach Steve walks in and they Still be here. Hey Steve. It was actually a great ad. And they actually say that that blockbuster was renovated back in 2006. It's got popcorn ceilings, yellow walls, great carpets, low fluorescent lighting. They still have DVD cases. You can still smell plastic. There's uh, candy and bags of popcorn. Bend, Oregon. And they ran that during the Super Bowl and on Instagram, on YouTube. I like that one. Maybe one of the best commercials. Have a great night. We're back tomorrow.
2: Enjoy your Monday evening.
1: Get more at 971talk.com.